Life is full of personal wins. Whether it's cleaning your house, getting that dream car, or checking off your to-do list, winning at life is a great feeling. And with the State Farm Personal Price Plan, you can keep winning when you create an affordable price just for you by bundling home and auto. So give yourself a round of applause. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery. Code Wondery. Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 1132. Uh, the date of the posting of this podcast is August 23rd, 2021. And Talking Dead is back live in our studio, on our set, with an audience. It's very exciting. This is this is how the show should be. It's been a blast. And we'll be on following Walking Dead um, for the next two months for this part of season 11. Then we'll take a break. Then we'll be back uh, next year. Um, also, that's Sunday nights. Uh, and Monday nights, The Wall is on NBC. So, uh, And I believe the same time for both, 10, 9 Central. So 10, 9 Central for Talking Dead Sunday. 10-9 Central for the Wall, Monday on NBC. So that's it. That's my self-promo. But let's talk about you. Let's talk about you promo, the ID10T community, uh, events at ID10T.com. Like Michael, who writes, I want to give a shout-out to a cool weekly event in my part of L.A., North Hollywood. Every Sunday from 3 to 9 p.m. is the Vegan Exchange L.A. event. It's a ton of vegan food trucks and booths and more. It's free and it's family-friendly. More info can be found on their Instagram account, Vegan Exchange LA. Thank you for sharing, Michael. See, Michael wrote events at ID10T.com just like you can to share the thing that you want to promote, either that you made or that you like or your friend made or something that you thought would be uh, fun or interesting or intriguing to the ID10T community. So uh, thank you for sharing, Michael, and everyone else, share. This episode is Andrew Rannells, who is a phenomenal actor and also super funny and, and really nice. Andrew got his start um, literally on like the biggest Broadway shows imaginable. Uh, Andrew was in Book of Mormon, Hairspray, Jersey Boys, Hedwig and the Angry Inch, Hamilton, um, and also has a ton of really fantastic, uh, brilliant comedy TV credits like uh, comedy Bang Bang, How I Met Your Mother, Glee, Girls, The Nick, Another Period, Drunk History, Will and Grace. Currently, Andrew is on uh, Black Monday, which is on Showtime, and also on Amazon's Modern Love, which comes back August 13th. And Andrew actually directed one of the episodes, which I believe is airing a little later in the season. It's in the episodes entitled How Do You Remember Me? But Andrew and I have actually never met, but we like are in, we have like really close circles of work and friends. And so this was like a real absolute pleasure to get to meet Andrew uh, on the podcast with obviously via Zoom. We're just doing Zoom casts right now. But um, but it was great to to say hi. And, you know, Andrew just has a very inspiring career because he does literally so many great 
uh, stage and film and television and now is directing. And uh, I don't know. I just I really I'm interested in directing. I, I just keep my brain just kind of keeps going back to that. It's really could I do that? Should I do? I don't know. And so I really love to pick the brains of people who are not only directors, but also uh, people who've just started directing as well to kind of find out what their experience has been. But this was such a wonderful chat and Andrew is just the best. So uh, I hope you enjoy the ID10T podcast episode number 1132 with Andrew Reynolds as we roll the thing. Initiating ID10T protocol. Hello. Hey there. How's it going? It's going well. How are you doing? I'm good. I, you know, I was just, uh, I was gonna tr- hook up a fancy new microphone, and uh, yeah. wah, wah, not USB C. Damn it! I know they keep changing those things, and then what the hell are you supposed to do? Nothing. I guess just record, you know, like an amateur podcaster with just the exterior microphone, external microphone on my my laptop. Ah, what are you going to do? I mean, I'm just using my earbuds, so I hope that sounds okay. You sound great, by the way. It sounds it sounds good. I left my um I had I have a little mic, one of those Ipogee mics, but I left it in LA. And now I feel like a dummy. That I forgot it there, but so you're just—it's really easy to travel, right? You'll just come back and get the microphone, and then just they'll keep yeah, I'll be right back. If you, I'll see you in like I don't ten know, hours. Fifteen well, I guess, hours. Fifteen. I guess it'd be fifteen with travel times too. With travel, I, yeah, man. PSA, yeah. But yeah. oh, it's really important. Could you mind? Do you mind just running back and grabbing it? Are you mad? Do you mind? Oh my god. <laughs> I I'm I'm I hope I'm not a little scattered. I literally just. I had a guitar lesson seconds, the ended seconds before I hopped on this, and my brain feels like a sponge that has been super is, saturated. Is this a new thing that you're doing, or is this something um, you've been doing for a while? It's, I guess it's about, I started taking piano and guitar about two and a half years ago simultaneously because I, I, I wanted to start weaving some songs into my stand up. And so I took, okay. I started taking a guitar on stage and, and I was like, look, I'm not very good at this, which I felt you have a lot of leeway as a comedian because the suckiness of it sometimes you can lean into it and that help, that's fine. But, yeah. but then, but during pandemic, I was like, I should really focus and d- try to get d- somewhat decent at this. And how's it going? It's fun. I mean, it's, it's you know, they're totally, obviously different experience experiences but i'm trying to connect them with music theory which has been very interesting because it's almost like trying to learn french by learning italian first but neither one of them is your native language so there's a lot of like on guitar go oh okay like i'm picturing a piano keyboard and trying to translate that to guitar when it comes to the notes so it's it's kind of weird do you play anything no, I don't, and I wish that I did. I've tried to play the piano, and I, I've had to learn the 
well, I've had to learn both for different jobs and I just can't, I can't do it. My first Broadway gig was Hairspray and I had to play a guitar in it. And I only had to play the first few chords, but there was just something about, I couldn't mentally make my fingers move fast enough. Yep. And like the strumming was fine, but like finding that placement, I just could not, I never got comfortable with it. I never did. And the piano I felt like was a little bit of the same thing that like, it's my, it's, it's, I understood where it was going and I can sing. So like I could, I can follow along, but like, I couldn't make my hands do it. I couldn't make my hands move fast enough. And I, some people have then, you know, told me they're like, well, that's why it's easier when you're a kid and when you're an adult, like it just doesn't make as much sense, but kids pick it up really quickly. But Kids do because their brains are forming, but also uh, I do believe, I, I, I mean, yes, I, I, I understand that there is like a neuroplasticity thing that the older you get, and we only have so much RAM, you know what I mean? And the older you get, the more experience, mm-hmm. like, it's like, this is not upgradable, you know, it's no. like, you, can't, no. you can't take your brain into the Apple store. Not, not yet, but maybe in the next 10 to 20 years. But, but I do think there is also a patience thing when you're older that you, um, that you miss uh, identify as not having enough plasticity, which is when you're a kid, you will sit in your fucking room and learn something until you've nailed it. And as an adult, you'll work on it for five minutes and go, I don't have time for this. This is fucking annoying. Yeah. You have to go to the store. Like you just, you, you yeah. talk yourself out of it easily. You really do. That's very true. That's <laughs> very true. But you do a lot of stuff. Um, you do a lot of well, great stuff. I'm tr- I'm trying. So do you, man. I'm so happy to get to meet you. It's really wonderful to meet you too. And I was I really had to rack my brain and think, wait a minute, how have Andrew and I not met yet? Considering like the the comedy crossover and like the 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 friend circle crossovers yeah. and the but it's somehow they we've just managed. It's just like a teacup ride. Like I'm over here and yeah. you're over there. We kind of see each other, but we never actually. But never actually do it. Well, now here we are. Now here it is. And, and you're in Los Angeles, yes. I'm in Los Angeles, yes. Very yeah. nice. I really like your ceiling. Oh, thank you. You know the see. Okay, so the ceiling. This is just quick little boring house renovation stuff. Um, the we this is what this would have been. This was the basement of the house, and we put a big TV here that you can't see. We we're going to put surround sound speakers in the ceiling and they poked a hole in the ceiling to do the wiring and they were like I think the beams are painted in here and so we started peeling back the ceiling and we realized that all of these beams were hand painted so this house was built in 28 and we believe that this would have been like a little speakeasy room, you know, because there's That's a little so cool. there's a little bar area over there, uh, and so we just ex- we're like fuck it, let's just expose all the beams. So that's what we did. We found this yeah. little treasure hidden under drywall. Good find. I would love to pick your brain about, um, I mean, about a lot of things because uh, I love your career <laughs> because you 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 are you were able to port your talents over to all these different things between theater and television, film acting, and voiceover, um, and video games and cartoons, which is such a great, I think just like such a beautiful acting exercise doing voiceover. Yeah. Uh, but I also, because you are also a singer and you do voiceover, 
I would love to sort of pick your brain about vocal fatigue, <laughs> how you keep yeah. your voice going. Were you classically trained as a vocalist? And like, how, like, what can we just talk some, some good vocal cord health? Yeah. Well, it's a very, um, performing on stage and singing in a studio I have found are two very different skills. And I hadn't done a lot of singing in a studio, um, until around the Book of Mormon time. And then I was, we were doing the cast album and, and then I got a couple more opportunities after that to, to do some recording. And I was like, why is this so much harder? And I think it was just a weird mental thing that I wasn't preparing for it in the same way. Mm -hmm. um, coming down to even like not warming up to do it. And when I'm doing a musical, um, I'm very diligent about warming up every night and making sure that like, I'm, you know, ready to go when I hit the stage. And sometimes I'll just roll into those studios and be like, <clears throat> let's try it. And, and not really. So I was like, oh, I gotta, I gotta remember that. I definitely have to remember that. But the nice thing is when you are in a studio and like we do a lot of songs on, on Big Mouth and I work on a handful of, of Disney um, shows that, that have a lot of singing in it. Um, you don't really have to push that hard which is real nice because that mic is right up in your grill. Um, so you can kind of really take your time and pull back on that. And I, I think because I, 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 you know, started doing musical theater used to think that I always had to do it in one take um, <laughs> that I had, that it had to be one clean take. Yep. And that somehow I was a failure if I didn't, if I didn't nail it. And I forget which producer it was that I was working with. He was like, we can do this line by line. Like that's, that's where the technology is. Come back yeah. tomorrow and we could just do this line again. He was like, it's okay. We can, we can take your time. We can take your time with that. And you know, the, the, for the forgiving thing on stage when you're doing a musical is that I worked with this director, Jack O'Brien, who's amazing. And he said to our cast at Hairspray, he was like, if you, he was like, now that you should, you shouldn't always think about it like this, but no matter what goes wrong during the course of this show, as long as you all nail the finale, that's all anyone is going to remember. <laughs> what a <laughs> And the, the finale of Hairspray is this big, joyous, it's called You Can't Stop the Beat, and it's like really, and he was right, there's confetti cannons flying over, and it's very bright, and he was right. The show could be a disaster in the first act for whatever reason, and as long as we all agreed to do that finale correctly, um, that's all they remembered. Oh my that's God, really what a all brilliant piece of advice, because yes, that's <laughs> your closer, and that's yeah. the thing that people are going to leave and I would imagine the opposite would be true, that you could have a killer first couple acts, and if the closer's kind of mad, then people are going to be like, yeah, it was fine. It's like, yeah, but everything else was fine. Yeah. Remember the first act? That was good. Well, I felt that, I definitely felt that pressure um, in the Book of Mormon after I I was, I performed um, this number, I believe, on the Tony Awards that year as sort of the representative of the show, because mm -hmm. it was nominated for Best Musical. So every show gets to do one number and I was, you know, asked to, to sing the song. And I felt like there was then this added pressure that when people saw the show live, they were like, I could hear them and the audience being like, oh, this is the song. This is that song. From the Tony. <laughs> and I was like, well, God damn it. It's a matinee, ma'am. <laughs> it, 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 <laughs> it might sound a little different, FYI. 
but thanks thanks for that i never um uh you know i i never pursued theater as like a performance track and yet i have so much respect for theater performers because i feel like it's such a it's such an incredible fertile ground for learning so many skills because it's so it's so challenging because it feels like you know especially if you're doing like off off broadway shows you show up and i imagine you know even if you're the lead you might also have to pull the curtain you might have to jump in and do it's like you learn how to be an ensemble not just within the cast but also to get the production going and then on top of that you have to learn how to roll with the punches live you have to learn to improv when you need to you have to keep the performance fresh for every performance like there are so many skill sets that i feel like kind of make you bulletproof sort of like just hearing you describe Oh, I, th- I thought I had to nail every recorded vocal. And you, you go in probably, you know, light years ahead of everyone else because you have this, like, <laughs> superhero training school known as theater. Yeah, it's, sort of, it's true. And I think, it, to your point, like, I had, I had a, 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 I don't want to say it was rocky, but it was a colorful introduction to my profession. Um, just in that I was doing, like, there was some summer stock and there was some really sort of you know, sad regional jobs. And so, so I, I, I had that experience of like, it wasn't showbiz in the pretty way. It was showbiz and like, you, we all got to pitch in together and we're in this together. And I never played sports as a young person, but it's, I imagine it's what like being part of the team is like that you're all, there are certainly, you know, times I remember doing, um, Greece, the musical Greece, uh, at the Westchester Broadway Dinner Theater, and like we in the middle of the fucking hand jive, a man choked on his brownie sundae, and it was it was not great, and we had to like stop the show, and you know so the EMTs could come in and help this man, and while it was like sad and scary and sort of funny and like, but we all looked at each other and we're like, well, now we have to go out and finish this show. And I don't know how we're going to get this audience back, but like we have to figure out a way to like, just do it. So it was sort of the best training ground in that sense that it wasn't, you know, I wasn't, you know, 22 and on some, you know, hit television show, I was 22 and I was doing a, you know, or 21 and doing a, not a great version of Greece. Did you finish the show? Did you finish it? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We had to go back and finish it. Amazing. Yeah. It happens. This episode is brought to you by Noom. Forget one size fits all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, 
Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. But this... This, I, this 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 kind of vocal challenge, and the reason that I ask is because I, you know, I I thought I was a pretty decent singer for a comedian in my twenties and my thirties, and then you know a lot of my jobs are very talky, and I started realizing late in my thirties and early in my forties, like mm, oh, like my voice would hit a ceiling, and that yeah. was never there before, and I know and and I know a lot of people who will start to hit middle age, and then they'll go, yeah, I just get raspy really easy. And I thought, well, that's it. So I went to the doctor. I did not have any nodules on my throat, on my vocal cords. And I started working with a voice coach. And I realized I have been talking and singing incorrectly my entire life. And a lot of people do. But most Mm -hmm. people don't sing, so you don't notice. And the incorrect way is to, you think in order to get vocal power, you have to force air from your, you tense up your stomach and like tighten up your throat to force it out which is the worst thing you can do. And you have to learn how to open your vocal cords and basically talk and sing from the mask. As my vocal coach says, your breath becomes the song. You're allowing it to pass through. And you have to relearn how to sing and talk. And it's a really strange process. Um, Did you all, were you trained for this or was this something that you have always just known intuitive? It was not intuitive to me. I kind of always knew it in theory, but I didn't figure out how to put it in practice until I was in Jersey Boys. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a show that's all about the the four seasons. And it's it's four guys singing very tight harmony. And a lot of them are, you know, songs that you would know, like Big Girls Don't Cry and, and Cherry and Walk Like a Man. Like those are all in there. But that when you actually learn it and you break it down, um, the harmonies are really hard to sort of because they're so tight. So that was the first time I really had to figure out what you were describing, which is the mask thing is like singing sort of almost through your nose in some way, especially if you're trying to blend with with other people. Um, But it yeah, it does. That was sort of how I figured out how to do that. And then it really came to serve me when we were doing the Book of Mormon, because even if you're tired, I remember when I was when I was doing Hedwig on Broadway and like I don't know if you know that show, but that it's basically it's like one monologue with some songs put in. And there were certain performances where the talking was harder than the singing. And I was just trying to get to a song because I was like, I know I can do that and I know how to like navigate that. But the um, but yeah, the talking can be a real pain. And I would imagine you know, for a lot of what you do on stage, that's, that's gotta be quite a hazard in your profession to like, cause you're like talking even with a microphone, you're just, you don't always think about how to breathe or how to hold yourself when you're speaking. And I think it's very easy to allow yourself to get tight up there. Yeah. Well, especially with, with comedy clubs, because you're basically, they're usually the equivalent of like a PA system. So it's oh. not, they're not like really powerful microphones that, 
you know, like a really great microphone, you barely have to do anything and it just, it just booms yeah. your voice throughout the space. And, um, but I just, I know a lot of people that feel like their voices are gone and they don't understand why. And it's like, well, because no one teaches you, it's just not intuitive to think, oh, the more I relax, the more power my voice will have if I aim my voice at like the roof of my mouth and the, and my nose, which is, I don't even, I wouldn't have even known how to do that without, you know, months of training. And it's still hard because you, you like you said, especially when you're doing headwork, you probably just start to fall back on uh-huh. the, the talky bits, which you think the sound is coming from your throat, but it's not. And it, when you're doing these, like, really... I mean, you're, you're talking about, like, really heavy hitter, stellar shows and performances between, you know, Hairspray and Hedwig and more Book of Mormon and Jersey Boys. And do you, is there any... Is there ever any anxiety around, like, I, I really can't have a daytime life because all of my energy needs to focus on having my my voice there, my energy there for these that shows, which are incredibly taxing. Yeah, no, there was definitely a, a times in the book of Mormon, um, that, uh, that were hard because I was also starting weeks after we opened, I, I had started working on girls. And so I was shooting episodes of girls during the day and then going to the book of Mormon at night. And it was hard to, uh, you know, that schedule doesn't allow for a lot of extra work, but you know, that was just an opportunity that I certainly felt like I couldn't pass up. So they were very flexible with me and I would work on my days off or I would work on, but, um, it, yeah, at a certain point you do just, you just need rest. Um, and it is, it is not, um, I mean, we still tried to go out. Don't get me wrong, that cast. <laughs> but um, but you do find yourself needing to sleep a lot more um, than you're used to because you're you're doing you know two and a half hours of aerobics on stage, mm-hmm. and then you know doing things with your voice that you probably shouldn't be doing. So I slept a lot that year and a half that I was doing that show. Um, was not the most exciting person to be around probably uh and then you figure out like by the time i did falsettos many years later um i don't know you figure out not to be as precious with it Mm -hmm. and 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 that you do still want to have some version of a social life and 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 that you just have to figure out ways to do it and where you can kind of take from things and 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 you know maybe not push as hard on certain numbers because you've got people backing you up and and also if you're working with like an ensemble there are times where you know I could say to you know Stephanie Block like I'm gonna need your help today (laughs) (laughs) these numbers and she was like got it on it um and you know you do that for each other as you you know go about is there a point where if you're Let's just say you're tired or you're just not feeling great and you know that, okay, for the for the performance tonight, I'm really going to have to, you know, I can let people know, hey, I'm, I don't feel like I'm at 100%. But you know at a certain point you're really going to have to, like, just d- dig deeper somewhere and find a reserve. Is there a moment uh, – I guess where I'm going with this is, like, even if I feel like I'm on autopilot or I don't know how I'm going to get through a show, I know, like, well – Within the first couple minutes, I know that if I can just get myself on to the stage, that my kind of like reflexive performance thing will take over yeah. and the adrenaline yeah. will kick in and then I'll be okay. Do you have sort of like, 
are there activation points for you where it's like if I can just get to this, I will I think my body will muscle memory kick in. We'll know what to do. Yeah. Oh, certainly. Yeah. And there is, you know, they call it on Broadway, they call it Dr. Footlights that like there is a healing property of the adrenaline of being in front of 1200, you know, paying customers that your body does sort of go into some sort of shock. Um, and it's like, Oh God, do the thing. Um, but I remember, I remember doing the book of Mormon and, and coming out and singing a few songs, but then getting to sort of my first solo. Um, what was it? It's a duet with Josh. And I just couldn't, there's not sound coming out. There just wasn't sound coming out. And I refuse. The stage manager was in the wings and I came off and she was like, we can stop the show and you can call out and we'll just put the understudy on. And I said, no, no, I'm not doing that. And, you know, this is three songs into the show. So I just continued to plow through and the audience could tell something was not right. But then we got to, I believe, which was, you know, my character's big number. And what you're describing, like something kicked in and I nailed it. I nailed that song that night. And the audience was like, just blown away that like, how did he do it? Like, it sounded like he was dying 10 minutes ago and now he's just sung the song. And then I was just cashed for the rest of the show. I could barely speak and was just trying, but like I had given it my all and I was like, I just got to get through this one. And I did some very strange vocal manipulation to get through that show, like singing things down an octave or speaking things. And the whole cast was like horrified and laughing about it. <laughs> but, um, but it was a fond memory of also, you know, you, you can push yourself, but then I had to miss like, three shows after that and like take a bunch of steroids because they're like your vocal cords are garbage right now kid take it easy well and those are also i imagine the shows that you i mean obviously we appreciate the shows where everything goes fine well you know like but those are the shows that you really remember and those are the character building shows too because yeah what an incredible lesson in just like I just gotta, you know, I I'm just gonna have to do it. It's, it's gonna yep. it's gonna be weird, and that's just gonna have to be okay. That you the didn't humility, yeah, 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 yeah. Not great. Not and great. Uh, when you're on Broadway and you start auditioning for television and film, is there a, is there a plan overall in the back of your head where you're saying like, you know, I I don't want to get too far away from theater or like you know, I want to have a nice balance or, you know, like when you, when you think about the entirety of your career and all the things that you do, um, if someone were to say like, what do you do? You would say you're an actor, but, and also a director and a writer, but, but in your mind, how do you think of you, you know, like what's, what's your home thing? I mean, I think of myself as a theater actor, um, even though I have not done that in a couple years at this point. Um, I mean, I haven't been in a, a Broadway show since Boys in the Band was the last time that I did that. Um, and that was three years ago. So it's, um, you know, but it's weird that that's how I, I think of myself as like, well, you're a Broadway actor, but um, haven't haven't done it in a while. Um, but it did become very important to me very quickly. You know, I was I was lucky to have some opportunities, you know, thrown my way because of the Book of Mormon and working on girls and working with Ryan Murphy on the new normal were, were things that came up that specifically 
the new normal because it shot in Los Angeles. Girls was shooting in in New York. So as difficult as it could be to make that work, I was able to do the first two seasons and stay in the Book of Mormon. So they worked around the show schedule. And I think I only ever had to miss like one or two shows the whole time. Wow. And, and that was it. But the, but the new normal was going to be very different because it shot in Los Angeles. So that meant leaving the show and packing up and moving. And I wasn't quite, I wasn't quite ready to do it, but the opportunity was just so great that I was like, well, I can't say no to this, but I really missed the show. I missed the Book of Mormon and I missed doing it. And I felt like we were finally at a place where the Tonys were behind us and, and we were, you know, just sort of doing it and it was fun and I liked doing it, but then it was time to leave. But then I remember, you know, saying to my agents and my manager, like, I have to figure out a time and a way to come back as often as possible. So it started with Hedwig that Neil Patrick Harris was leaving the show and they wanted to keep it running and they weren't sure, you know, if it was going to work, but I had two months before I started something else and they were like, okay, well do, do a two month run. So I got to go into that show and I did it for two months, which was really, um, incredible to get to do that. Um, and then that continued to run after I left. And then the next year, the next year I think was, was Hamilton that I filled in at Hamilton for a few weeks. And I just like, I guess the, my point is it just like, I, I just made it a part of my year when I was looking at sort of what my opportunities are to make sure that there was space in there for me to do a show. Um, cause it just, it feels, I mean, it sounds cheesy, but it's just like, it's such a, a recharge for me of my battery. And it's such a good reminder. I mean, you know, the adrenaline of performing live in front of people and you can be doing great work on a film set and you never get that feeling like you never, you don't get that same feeling nope, I mean, you I, you know, about it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I have, I have done things and people say like, oh, that was good, or that was funny, or that was sad, or whatever. And you're like, thanks. And then a year later, it comes out, and you're like, oh, yeah, that was that was not so bad. <laughs> um, but it's, 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 you know, there's nothing better than being on stage and experiencing that exact rush and having to really pull out all your tricks every night and be like, I'm put, leaving it all on the table, folks. Like that's really exciting. And that's, there's, there's nothing that can replicate that. No, but, the, but also, uh, but a theater show, like I would imagine really gets just into your blood and your molecules because you, I'm so interested in the journey of, first of all, you have to learn a whole show and not a lot of time, which is not just dialogue, but it's songs and choreography and also folding in with, you know, a, a group of people that you may or may not know, but you have to come together as a community to make a thing. Um, and then you just do it over and over and over and over and over. And I'm sure it just kind of takes on a life of its own. And it's like, oh, the first couple of shows are probably different than, you know, the the six months of shows or a year of shows or whatever. And, you know, are you discovering new life as you're going yeah. along in this thing? And then you go shoot a TV show or a movie. And it's like, oh, you say these lines once or twice, <laughs> or depending on how much coverage you have, yeah. you know, you could learn it that day if you need to, if it's just two lines. Sure. And then you probably forget about it. It's just like, it just passes through you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. 
I mean, we would talk about Regina Hall and I talk about on Black Monday. Like, if you asked me to do a scene from the day before, I wouldn't be able to do it. Right. Like, it's once we're done and we're wrapped and we're home, like, that just weirdly leaves my head. And then you're learning the next day and you learn the next pages. But if you ask the few times that we've had to go back, I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> you have to go back? <laughs> I don't remember that. I don't know what this was. What? I don't remember any of this. What are you doing? That was that was Tuesday. Are you crazy? That's <laughs> no. so silly. Well, but also, you know, as you're as you're doing all as you're doing all these things and getting all these opportunities, it, it's probably. I mean, would you say you're doing the things that you set out to do when you were first starting out? Yeah. Yeah. And, and more, quite frankly, I didn't, I didn't know. I think my, my scope of what was possible was pretty tight. And I just thought that I wanted to work for as long as possible in theater. And I never really thought of television as something I would get to do. And then when I started to do more of that and writing seemed like more of an option like that became exciting and so it's been you know it's been sort of an ever evolving and you know you constantly have to sort of check in with yourself about like is this does this make me happy is this something i want to be doing and um and i am you know really lucky that especially early in my career with trey parker and and with lena and and um with ryan murphy that i worked with folks who wrote their own material and I mean, Lena was in, it, always incredible to me that she like was writing and directing and producing and, um, you know, doing telling stories that she wanted to tell. And I mean, it took me a while to sort of figure out what my version of that was. But um, then to get an opportunity to write a book was pretty, um, pretty amazing. And now right now with Modern Love, they circled back and because the, the, the first essay I wrote, um, which was a chapter would, would become a chapter in this book was in Modern Love in The New York Times. And then, you know, became a, a book that came out a few years ago. And they came back to me and asked me if I would consider adapting the episode, which then, or adapting the essay into an episode. And then that uh, turned into John Carney asking, he was like, well, would you consider directing it? And it just, it kind of, I don't know, it all felt very sort of, I mean, it took a long time, but it all felt oddly organic and sort of, like, I felt like I was kind of doing the right stuff all of a sudden that I was like, Oh, this is why this is all lined up is because it's going to, you're going to have this opportunity. And I don't know when the next time I'll direct is, but um, it felt like a very sort of complete um, moment to get to go back and, and tell that story in a different way. Especially to direct something that you wrote where you're not having to translate someone else's story into yeah. your vision. Like you probably, because you wrote it, you have a very solid idea in your head of like what this is, how this plays out, how it's supposed to how it's supposed to to look. But what were you yeah. surprised by in the directing process? Because I always think of it as like, you know, if I, I I might say like, oh, I wanna I'm gonna draw a guy on a horse, and I have a very clear idea in my head of what that is, and my hand scrawls it onto paper, and I'm like, what is this? This isn't at all. I thought, you know, so are you are you finding that um, with directing, or do you feel like, oh, it actually expressed visually the way that it was in my head? A little of both. I had a really great director of photography named Yaron Orbach, who was super super patient and very. 
um, you know, talked me through things and asked, you know, answered a lot of questions and, and got me to think about things. Also, we were supposed to, to, uh, to film this in March of 2020 mm-hmm. and we did not get to film it until September. So I had a lot of time to, to work on this. <laughs> I had a lot of time to prepare. Um, so there were certain things that we did that came off exactly as we had talked about and they look exactly like, you know, the boards we had, you know, come up with and, and the pictures that I had told him and, you know, like we were able to do a lot of that. And then some things that were just like happy accidents on stage that were shots that were just sort of stolen or, or things that, you know, just sort of happened. We did a lot of steady cam work and we had great actors who were able to do very long takes of pages and pages of dialogue. And we caught some really cool stuff with the steady cam that I wasn't really expecting. And I think that's, that's when I had to loosen up on the planning and just be like, let's just see what happens. Let's just, you know, you can always go back to that plan, but um, let's see if this maybe turns into something a little different. And I also, which is funny because I'm an actor um, was somehow forgetting like, Oh, they're going to do their own thing. <laughs> on the day. <laughs> like I'm not going to be able to control everything they do. Right. And I, we had such a great time kind of finding it but then i really enjoyed just being able to kind of sit back and be like well it belongs to you now so i'm not gonna white knuckle this i'm just gonna like let you you're the you're playing the part so um that was that was a really sort of freeing experience that i was like you don't have to you don't have to control them just they know what they're doing and you trust them and they're here for a reason so let them do it we really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. T-Mobile.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Yeah, and also... I, I would imagine sometimes you can be pleasant. You can be really surprised by someone's take on something and go, Oh my yeah. God, I never thought, Oh wow. That's a really great, I never would have thought that. Yeah, exactly. So that's, you know, very exciting. So the, you know, the big, my big takeaway was if you cast it correctly, <laughs> you don't have to do much work. Yeah. You find you're finding your right so. team, but I imagine that's, you know, like also your yeah. E and your lighting people and the music, like yeah. everyone, it's just like trying to find the right team of people and then just trusting them to that they know what they're doing. That this is going to work. Yeah, exactly. I loved something you said like five minutes ago about, oh, and then I asked myself, you know, if I'm – am I happy with what I'm doing? And because you said it very casually, but I think that's one of the most profound things to do because – 
as performers, we live a very, you know, like, I don't know, maybe I'll work this year, maybe, who yeah. knows, you know, and so it can be very easy to, much in the same way that when people get old, older, older, elderly people go, it's weird, you know, like, I know that I'm older, but I feel like I'm, you know, 20 in my head. Uh-huh. Much the same that as performers, we might always feel like the performers who were just starting out and just trying to and just had to survive. So we're constantly in survival mode. But survival mode doesn't always serve you. Like you really do have to recognize like you're evolving. And it's so hard sometimes, I think, to remember to stop and ask because you'll just go, yes, 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 I'll do this. Yes, I got to do this. No, I got to do this. No, and I got to, oh yeah, I better do that. Oh fuck, if I don't do that, I may never get another. And then, but we forget to stop and ask ourselves, is this, am I happy doing this? Is this a healthy thing that I'm doing? How often do do you need to do this? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. How often do you think it's healthy to to check in? um, I mean, I forget for long periods of time, certainly. And then something will happen. Usually it's, you know, it's real life sort of catching up in some way. And, and then it does sort of cause you to be like, well, do I have to do that talk show right now? Or do I have to guest star in this thing that is actually going to make my life very complicated? Like, is there a way to maybe, (laughs) is it okay if I say no? Like I had to figure, I have a very, you know, really great agent named Blair Cohan and a really great manager named Christy Smith. And I remember talking to them about something years ago and being like, can I say no to this? And Blair was like, yeah. You can always say no. Like, <laughs> of course, you don't have to say yes to everything. But it is that mentality that you're thinking about of like, well, work begets work, and I have to keep doing everything. Um, and it is, it's sometimes hard to keep track of the the bigger picture. Um, but I think you know, if you if you know, in the times that I have have remembered to do that, um, and I feel like I do it more now, um, it's very helpful. It's a helpful check in. Um, cause you know, careers can be very, not all of them, but they can be very long and they can do lots of different things. And I think, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of ups and downs in them is what I'm trying to say. Uh, and you know, it's good to just remember to kind of roll with it sometimes and you never know what's going to come up exactly. Anytime I've really tried to plan something or like vision board the hell out of a job, I don't get it. And then it's like something else that comes up that I didn't even know existed that I'm like, oh, that, that's and, what I want. And, and it usually comes up when you have a vacation coming up and you're like, when are we gone yeah. on the 7th to 23rd? They're like, oh, this dream job, uh, this thing really, they want you on August 12th. And you're like, yep. And then yeah. you have to make that, <laughs> to make that decision. I used to always think if I wanted a job, I should buy a plane ticket. And I, I don't know. And it was true for a long time. Like, plan a vacation. You'll get a job. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Go for it. Yeah. Well, I, I think – I also think we kind of have this dangerous thing where we um, we, we kind of uh, s- celebrate working ourselves into a pile of dust, you know? It's like, oh, sure. that person's busy. Therefore, they have a lot of value or they're cool. Be- and it's like – I don't know. You know, maybe it's pandemic mindset sort of sinking in of like learning balance and, you know, like appreciating daily moments and in real life sort of things. But like, oh, you know, that is potentially extraordinarily unhealthy to value working yourself into the ground 
at the expense of, you know, your health or your mental health, your physical health or relationships or whatnot. And so what I mean, why do you think that is? Why do you think why do you think we don't often as I feel like culturally don't necessarily celebrate balance as much? I know it's true. It's true. I think my, you know, personally speaking, I think mine comes from uh, fear, fear of not being able to to keep doing the thing that mm-hmm. I like to do. So I'm afraid if I if I don't do everything, then is somebody going to be mad at me, <laughs> or am I going to like piss somebody off and they're not going to hire me for something else down the road? And how long does that last? And you know, so I feel like a lot of my stuff comes with comes because I'm afraid of, you know, of losing something in some way. But, um, but then I don't know. I feel like this past year has been, or past year and a half has been obviously wildly difficult, um, on many, many levels. Um, but that, I don't know. And I don't know if you had the same experience, but when everything just stopped, I had been going, from job to job to job for like a year and change and hadn't really had any time off. And all of a sudden the rug was pulled out from everything. And, and you know, it didn't obviously did not feel correct um, or reasonable to be like, but I wanted to direct a TV show when there's a global pandemic. happening. So I was like, Okay, just put a pin in it, Randall. It'll happen when it happens. Um, but it did lead to some real spiraling of all of a sudden just having to be like by myself mm-hmm. and figure out, you know, well, who are you if you're not working? And do mm-hmm. you have value if you're not working? And are you interesting if you're not working? Like, what are you going to talk about? What are you going to like? There were no parties to go to, but if there had been, like, what <laughs> stories would you be telling? Are you just digging into your past and coming up with some shit? Or, like, you know, I I, I really it had a very, you know, a sort of identity crisis for a while there that I was like, I don't know who I am if I don't have a job. And I think that that was, um, was weirdly a lesson I had to learn in my 20s before I was really working a lot and I figured out that like, no, you, you can be an interesting person and not be on Broadway and not have those credits. And like that you still have value and don't cut your, you know, sell yourself short. I was constantly making myself smaller around people that I felt like had more than I had. And it just didn't serve you, you know, it doesn't ever serve you. Um, But I feel like I had to learn that again, this, this past year and a half that I was like, you're still, I mean, I might not be that interesting anymore, but like, you're still, you're still a good person, Andrew, or at least you're trying, even if you don't have a job right now, it's okay. Uh, and I had to remind myself that. <laughs> that was so eloquently put. And because it's, I mean, just when you were talking about something like about value and, you know, uh, and, you know, who am I and what do I, so I sort of get chills because like, yeah, those are uh. such the most amazing kind of existential questions that we ask, particularly as performers, because we put so much into the business and so much into each job. And, and even just hearing you talk about like going to parties and it's like, you, you know, you never go to an entertainment party and you don't have conversations like, so what type of mindfulness practice are you doing? It's like, what are you working on? You know, oh, what, what, what sort of in the moment experiences did you appreciate today about life? Yeah. You know, 
Did you look at a B and think about the enormity? You know, it's like, no, what are you, what are you working on? How's it going? Yeah. Oh, I had this experience with work. And, and it's, we, we do place so much value. And not that it's not, I mean, it's our careers, but I think there's this really interesting place that is great to get to that we can, that we are not our careers and that mm-hmm. we can do things because we like to enjoy, we like, we enjoy them and we want to do them, but not that we need to do them to feel like we exist. And I feel like yeah. that is such a, a powerful question to ask. And, you know, to anyone who's not a performer, they might go, what the fuck are you talking about? But I feel like in every profession, we do allow ourselves to be defined by our jobs and sort of forget like, oh, but that's not, that's an external thing. And at the core of it, it's a thing I do, but it's not. It's not me and who am I and what do I like and what's important and how do I, you know, how do I, how do I balance that out? Well, I feel like there's a lot of different versions of it. I remember having a conversation with my mother years ago and my younger sister was about to go to college and she was like, I don't know who I am if I'm not a mom of five kids. Right. And she never really had a job during that time. She was always just like, and that, and it lasted like a little too long because my sister was, you know, in high school and didn't, she didn't need a babysitter. She wasn't, but my mom still was like a stay at home mom. Um, but after raising five kids, and I think that was her moment of what, what we were just sort of talking about is like, well then who am I then if I'm not that lady? Um, which I remember feeling so I was sort of experiencing experiencing it in a in a different way um in my twenties in New York, but like we did connect on that level of like, well, I think we have to look at ourselves as like obviously more than one thing and not just define ourselves from one thing, whether that's motherhood or singing and dancing. Um <laughs> <laughs> I mean, did she, did, did do you, do you feel like, and obviously I'm not trying to pry or get personal, but do you no, feel no. Like she was able to start to figure that out? And how did she figure that out? You know, were there certain questions? Was she like, oh, I want to, you know, uh, because I, because I've spent so much of my time, like, you know, doing things to, for other people to kind of keep other people, you know, yeah. going, like, what's for me? Like, what do I like to do? And, you know, did she ask some of those questions? Did she figure it out? She did, I think. I think she did um, for a while. Yeah, that she did have to sort of explore and, you know, she had some different friends and was doing different things and had to create some time for herself, which I think was really hard for her to do. And I think on a certain level, it's still sort of hard for her to do sometimes, but um, certainly better at it now than she was 20 years ago about being like, well, I just, I'm going to try this. I'm going to see if I like it and have to figure out. And I guess we, we have to do that Two, I was asked recently, sort of, you know, about like hobbies, and I was like, hobbies, <laughs> hobbies. What, what are you talking about? <laughs> what is that? It's like I was so. I was like, um, I don't know. I guess my career is my hobby, and they were like, no, 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 no. What hot like latch hook painting? And I was like, <laughs> fuck it. I was like, I don't have fucking time for that. What are you talking about? And the fact is, I probably do have time for that. I probably could create more space to be like, I love, I don't know, miniatures or whatever the fuck. Like, I'm going to start doing calligraphy. Like, yes, I could find, and I should find something that, like, helps me unwind that's not just a spiral about my career. Like, that's not a good hobby. <laughs> Andrew, do you want to direct this episode of Modern Love? I'm working on a latch hook cityscape. I don't have time to direct it, you know. But it's, but I, I think it is that, it is that thing of, you know, when we start out, in a way, 
our careers start out as hobbies, right? Because you sort of find, just like you said, well, my career is my hobby. But at a certain point, it scales up and your career is partially not for just for you anymore because you have all of these pressures and people that either you employ or other people in in an ensemble that rely on you or you have. So it, it is for you, but it also becomes about a lot of other people. And so, you know, back to your earlier point about like, yeah, I took a guitar on stage when I was, you know, performing, but, you know, piano specifically was like, well, this isn't for anybody. This is just, you know, it's yeah. like that thing of like, well, I don't know, it's fun. Well, what's it for? Well, it's for fun. <laughs> like yeah. it's, I'm not commodifying it in any way. I'm not trying to fold it into anything. It's just because it feeds me in a way. It's like I'm just doing something for me. And I think those are the kind of those kind of existential um, the existential rain gutter, I think, ultimately just sort of pours into like, well, what's for me? So yeah. do, do, do you do you have an eye on anything that you feel like, well, I guess if I really were to think about it, I might just do this thing, you know, that's just for me? I don't know. That's a really good question. Maybe you're not that's ready really to good. yet. Maybe you're still maybe you're, you know, like you don't you don't always have to have one. No, but I would like to find my version of the piano lesson that would be something like that. I mean, you know, I, I I very much used to write just for myself. And it was, they were, you know, sort of essays or short stories or things like that. But then the second that I had an inkling that maybe I could share it with more people, it takes on a whole different it's life. You, your there. brain, it's like a different mode. It activates yeah. a different part of your brain there's deadlines and there's, you know, there's notes and there's things like that, that then sort of suck a little of the joy out of it because you're like, well, now, now it's a thing I got to do. The second money is involved, then it's got to be something else. And you're like, Oh, this is, this is turned into something else. And it can be very exciting yeah, and it can still be very rewarding, but um, I know I need to find something that that would be. I don't know. And it's also because you think about other, it's like, then when you start factoring all that stuff in, then you can't help but think about other people's reactions and do other people's reactions like soil the art or the experiment because you're sort of, then in a way it's like an external thing that you can't control, but you're thinking about like, well, how's this going to land? And is, are people going to like this? And is this funny or is it not funny? then, Then it... You know, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it does lose us a little bit of the purity of like, I am only doing this because it brings me joy. And I really may, if I never showed it to anyone, I wouldn't care. I don't think it's terrible to have a thing that's like that so that you kind of, because then you're, then you're not worrying about the external world at all. It's just like, this is just for me and something that I'm connecting with and, you know, everything else is not relevant to this thing. You've inspired me to find something. <laughs> you, it might be, just be the thing you riffed. You're like, you know, I know I riff lat- latch hook painting, but I, you know, I got some carpet yeah. brands and a little canvas, and yeah. I have to say, it's Maybe very creative. I used to like doing it when I was a kid. I did a, you know, Snoopy in his doghouse, and I think it turned out great. <laughs> and I might want to revisit that. I don't know. Maybe, and and who knows, maybe you'll bring back some type, maybe you'll create some type of latch hook movement, you know, like you will at a certain Um, point. I will say they're out there, you know, the latch hooks. (laughs) If you look on the Etsy or the, you know, they're out there. Yeah, I'm sure there's a a community of latch hook artists right now listening going, what the fuck, we're right here. Yeah, 
we've been here the whole time making movies or sunsets or 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 boats you know like with those i want to do like a i want to do like a don knots like <laughs> just like a like a really sensitive latch hook of don knots would be my dream <laughs> did you ever hear dana gould has a really old bit about how don knots could never be like a like a, a creepy prank caller because his voice is so recognizable. No. Someone would answer the phone. He go, "I've been looking at you through the bedroom window. Is this Don Knotts?" Oh! You know. <laughs> I've always loved Don Knotts. I've always loved him. What a story that that was. I often think about like what an interesting and and wildly different time it would have been to be like a TV star or a film star at that time. You know, obviously like, you know, 50 million people would watch one thing, but also someone like Don Knotts, I would, I would be so curious to know if he ever sort of felt trapped by the character of Don Knotts or if he was like, no, this is what I did. And I'm totally comfortable. Like I'm totally at peace with just kind of doing these kinds of, these kinds of roles. I mean, I know he got a lot more famous playing uh, Mr. Furley, but I, but do you have any insight on him? No, none at all. But I imagine like, I mean, I don't know if like the Jerry Lewis of it all is any indication, like there's sometimes a, a, a need to sort of like, or a desire to sort of like bust out of that mold and be like, I know this is the thing that made me famous, but now I want to play a serial killer and I want to do something very dark. And I'm sure nobody offered him that opportunity, but I wonder what he would have done if given the, you know, some sort of wildly different chance, like Mickey Rourke and the wrestler, you know what I mean? Like no one saw that coming. No, of course not. But, but, but also, you know, defying expectations and, or maybe just, Maybe that idea of like, well, I want to try something for me because I I do think that stardom is its own kind of weird trapping in the sense sure. of well, I want to you know I don't I don't want to keep this success cow cash cow you know, I want to keep it going and I you know there's a lot of expectations and you know but maybe I do want to do this kind of why I mean you you see it happen all the time. It's it's more common now, but at least when we were growing up, if a comedian ever wanted to do a dramatic role, like Robin Williams was pretty masterful at it. Of like, yeah. I always marvel at like the guy who played Mork, which was the sing- one of the singularly most identifying characters of the seventies. Yeah. I'm sure people were like, "No one's going to take you seriously as dramatic actor. What are you talking about?" And then somehow, just he through perseverance and talent, he did it and kind of like really defined his own thing. It's an, an incredibly impressive feat at yeah. that time. Very much so. Yeah, because I don't think a lot of those TV actors from that time were necessarily given that chance, I would say. Or you had to be Ron Howard and just be like, I'm going to do a totally different thing. Yeah. Because I'm so – everyone th- knows me as Richie Cunningham. I'm just – I'm not going to do any more acting. I'm just going to focus on directing and then over a period of time. But I think it also is a great lesson of if those guys could do that then when it was harder, I think what it says is obviously any career has some lucky breaks, but it really was just about discipline and focus and pushing ahead and not listening to people when they were like, don't. Well, what are you doing, Ron? Ron, yeah, come on. <laughs> you know, Robin, Robin, you're Mark. What are you? It's like, no, I don't I don't care what you say. I'm going to fucking do this anyway, regardless of how successful it is or not. I'm sure. I'm sure there were some people in their lives who, who made that argument to them and scared the hell out of them about what's all going to go away. 
if you do, you know, world according to Garp, it's all going to change. <laughs> and, you know, he did it. And there you go. Yeah. And it wasn't necessarily a wildly successful movie commercially, but it but did start I, to paint him in this other other way. Yes, absolutely. I was, um, have you read that Mike Nichols book, Mike Nichols that Mark Harris wrote? Nope. Um it's it's really great. It's a very comprehensive look at Mike Nichols' career, and I'm always fascinated by casting stories and how things sort of came together, or how movies come together, and and some of them go more in depth than others. Or some of some of the films they talk about are a little casually, you know, discussed about you know. And then I was doing Working Girl, and they're like, "How um, can you focus on that for a sec? Because that was kind of a big deal." Can we go back to that? Um, but they, but the, the casting stories are so interesting and it's the thing that like, you know, I am, I'm afraid of as an actor is like, what is said behind your back in those room or, you know, in those rooms that you're not in when you're on a list of actors and people are like, no, he's too blah, 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 or not right. enough, blah, blah, blah. Like those are terrifying. Um, there's also a really great podcast called the plot thickens, um, that AMC, produces and every season is about a different movie and this season is about bonfire the vanities together that film yeah and it they there and i i forget her name but there's a journalist who um was given access to that whole process because they thought the movie was going to be such a huge hit Mm -hmm. so she has like hours of tape and all of these notes about putting this together and um pretty incredible pretty incredible but they do talk about casting Melanie Griffith's role and like how it almost went to Uma Thurman and all of the things that went into it. And it's just, I mean, it's cool to hear, but also like makes you terrified as a performer to be like, Oh God, it's also fragile. It's also fragile. And, and we, you, we never know. And, you know, it's like, I think you could just be as prepared as you can be. And then you kind of have to let it go to a certain extent. Bonfire the Vanities is such an interesting one too, because on paper, it's like, Guys, we're going to be billionaires after this yeah. you know, movie. And then, it, and so it, it really is that thing of you just never know. And what's your motivation? And I think if your motivation is to do hit things, you might have a rocky, very potentially maybe rewarding, but also sometimes disappointing career path. But if you're, if you're driven by, you know what? This seems fun to me and interesting. And I like the people involved. And I'm just going to do it because it's fun. Then again, that's like choosing yourself over your need for something, for need yeah. or your ego, your need for success, your need for validation, whatever. And you're literally just validating yourself with the experience in the moment. Like it's hard to do, but if you can do it, it really just seems like, isn't that, wouldn't that be a much simpler, happy path? Because then it doesn't, none of that other shit matters anymore. It's true. Yes. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's very true. You're very, uh, you're very inspiring to talk to. Well, I appreciate that. I, I, you know, I, the podcast for me has been such an incredible exploration of people that I get to talk to who's, oh, I go, wow, their career is really cool or they're making so many interesting choices or doing so many different things and just like, just trying to get, you know, get to know them. I mean, like I, cause you do a lot of stuff that I, you know, I love voiceover and I do, and I feel like voiceover is a, is a thing that is not necessarily um i feel like it, it i do believe that people respect it but but it's not like but the but the annies the animation awards are not like 
the Oscar, but it's like, yeah, but, but the vocal performances, you know, like I did voiceover for a long time and I always do a version and I think I'm pretty good at it, but I do a version of me or a loud version of me. But then you see these guys like D. Bradley Baker and Rob Paulson and Kevin Michael Richardson and Greg Griffin, like people who can go in and literally transform their entire persona in a moment without being able to convey any acting with their face or their body. And they just create these, and Maurice LaMarche, like just these incredible characters. And I think like that may be like one of the harder jobs in the business. Yeah. It really is. And people who do it well um, are exceptional, really exceptional. Um, I, I feel like, yes, I do sort of a version of myself. Although the last couple seasons of Big Mouth, I've gotten to kind of like play around a little bit more, which has been a lot of fun. But um, but it is um, – that's how I started my career was was doing animation. Was my first jobs were all in, in cartoons. Um, so it, it's been really nice the past few years to get to come back to that because it does feel – like something I'm very, you know, comfortable doing. And luckily the projects have gotten, have gotten a little better than when I started in, you know, Yu-Gi-Oh. Um. <laughs> well, and if, but, you know, back to your, to your earlier point is that it's just, it's so nice to like, you know, there, there's a lot of different, like a lot of different professions on the podcast, but, but, uh, but uh, it does fall heavily into performance, directing, writing, you know, music like that, the sort of creative arts, but, um, and, and, and I also kind of feel like in a way we're support group for each other because we're all in this very similar, everyone's path is very unique, but we're all in a similar journey. And I feel like we all, we all have a lot of the same, you know, like just to hear how people kind of navigate things or navigate personal happiness versus like career obligations and reminding each other like, well, what's important? You know, I, I find these, these, po- I don't, I don't do these podcasts because I feel like it's a job that I have. I do it because I genuinely love learning from people and connecting with people, you know? And so, you know, I also appreciate that you would take the time to sit and talk and open up about these things because it is, I really actually do take a lot away from it. It's not a, it's not a one-sided thing for me. Well, I really appreciate you having me. It's really great to um, to get to meet you, but also um, having a conversation that is so frank and so honest about about these things because they're sometimes hard to talk about and sometimes um, it's hard to describe exactly what that feeling is. So I really appreciate um, you making the space to do that. Well, it's also it's also sometimes weird. Like if you're you know if you're just if you call up a friend and you're like, hey, let's talk about life and our choices, they might be like, oh, I don't know now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can hear a baby crying in the background. You know, maybe now can we just yeah no chat? Can, can we just small talk it for a bit? Is that okay? <laughs> Do you mind? Um, is there is there anything else that you want to pro? Because I know uh, Black Monday, and then obviously you directed episode two of Modern Love, which I'm pretty sure is August thirteenth. That's correct, August thirteenth. Yep. Um, yeah. Is there is there anything else that you want to uh, promote, or are you? Uh, is there anything yeah. else you're working on, or? I think that covers it. I think that covers it. I am working on a, a second book, which I'm excited about, but that's, you know, obviously a much slower pace, but um, no, I'm excited that, that modern love is, um, is finally going to be out there. It's been almost a year since we filmed it. So it's very exciting to actually get it, you know, to be shared with people. Um, so yeah, it's called, how do you remember me is the name of the episode. Um, and I'm not sure, I think they might've changed the order of things. 
Oh, okay. Um, at the old Amazon. Yeah. So I might be actually be number, there's eight episodes and I think I'm number seven of eight. Now you're number seven. Okay. Gotcha. So yeah. So we'll see about that, but I'll get to the bottom of that. I'll get to the bottom of that. <laughs> Let's get someone on the phone right now. Amazon, can you get, I know Bezos left, but we can, he still knows. Let's get him on the phone. He Do still you knows him? things. You want to, can you text him? Um, so that's Amazon and Black Monday is Showtime. Um, and just really quickly, what is your, do you, when you're writing a book, do you write a little, do you, are you one of these people that is able to just like write for like an hour or two a day or do you like put it off and do it in big chunks? Like, do you kind of have to force yourself into a structure to keep up with the deadlines? I have to put myself into a little bit of a structure. I find that if I don't write first thing in the morning, it's really hard to get back to it later in the day as things start to emails start to come in and things start to happen. Like it's hard to go back to it. So I have to write for a few hours just at the beginning of the day. And that's sort of the best time to do it. Um, Cause I feel like even if I don't have anything, I feel like I don't have anything to say as long as I get started, it might shift and go someplace else. But as long as I start, then it generally goes someplace and it doesn't necessarily be need to be like where exactly I was thought I was headed, but um, that's how I have to do it now. Let's just make myself sit down and, and start to write. Well, I cannot thank you enough for your time. Uh, I, oh my am, gosh, thank you. I'm a fan of your work and your career and I, and I'm excited to see, I, and maybe you'll start directing more. This could be a thing. We'll might. see. Hard to say. Hard you to say. Do. You never know. Um, well, hopefully I'll see you when I'm, when I'm back in Los Angeles. I hope so. Thank you so much. It's great to see you. Take care. Thank you. Thank you so much. The Bye. end. Bye. ID Tenti scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. I feel like I was blindsided. Because it's a competition show. From the producers of Jury Duty and The Bachelor. We have scoured the earth for the 14 greatest reality contestants that were available during our production window. Comes a reality competition show about reality competition shows. Nobody has dared to find out who is the actual best at just being on a reality show. I'm your host, comedian Daniel Tosh. Is win or go home. Each episode, our contestants will face new challenges that will test their strength and lack of life skills for a chance to win $200 million. $200,000. Prepare, because it's about to be ugly crying. Lots of fighting. Tasha, I have to defend myself. Celebrating 25 years of reality TV with your favorites. I have diarrhea. You cannot do this to me. What in gay hell have I got myself into? The Goat, premiering on Freebie and Prime Video on May 9th. 